Look what I have, and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> on the devil, of course. <laughs> Church jokes. <laughs> Other people are like, oh, she's a psycho, and she's got the mic and a sword. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit, okay? <laughs> Winter's like, explain yourself, Autumn. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, I was thinking this morning, we've been really trying to make a little space in our services for testifying of things that the Lord's doing, especially miracles and signs and wonders, and we just want to continue to engage our faith for the impossible, right? Things that are impossible all of a sudden seem very, things that are impossible seem very possible when you renew your mind. When all of a sudden you have the mind of Christ, then the impossible just seems like, oh, that's totally normal, right? Winter, can you come here? Impromptu testimony. How many years, this is so private, but I know that you've shared this before. How many years did you and Chad try to have children or, or you know? Uh, we've had infertility for 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> no, but not everybody knows this testimony. Yeah. 11 years and, um, yeah. and issues with both of you, is what the doctors had said. And then around this time, yeah. last year, October 16th, the Word of God is so powerful. On October 16th, um, we had a guest speaker come in, and we had some time of, like, extra times of prayer and ministry, and the Lord released this prophetic word over you. It was like this now word of the Lord that you were overdue for his promises to come forth. We weren't even thinking this little guy. <laughs> we were thinking all the other promises. <laughs> so tell us, just tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, like uh, Autumn said, we had some guest speakers in, and we were at their house, and we were just, you know, doing what Christian stewards, you know, praying in the spirit and just loving on each other. And Autumn had this word that um, I was overdue, and then um, everybody in the room, like just a bunch of our friends, were just started to pray for me. And I had this like, I I don't want to like exaggerate, but it's like really dramatic experience with the Lord. Like I like literally was trembling. It was weeping and crying, um, and everyone's praying for me and like praying for like, you know, the the baby to come forth. And it, we were no one was thinking actually about like infertility. We were thinking about like maybe the next season, season next mission, going to the Middle East, something, you know. And um, even Daniel Grenz, one of our friends, like leaned over to Chad and said, "You need a command for her water to break." And it's like it's kind of like really weird, you know. Like that was like a really specific. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so he did, you know, and he did that. And then, um, like, that week I, I quit my full-time job. And, like, like I've just, like, my life's been completely different, being radically obedient to Jesus in different ways in my life. Um, and then in January we found out we were pregnant. So that was pretty wild. So, yeah, that was not what we were expecting. We have this, like, saying in our house. But actually what I told Chad when I was pregnant, he just wrote – back I sent him a text because that's how surprised I was it wasn't very magical but and he was like I thought it was a spiritual baby and I was like me too <laughs> the Lord has already I think this is like a little John the Baptist yeah. personally like there's just like not that you're as old as Elizabeth was <laughs> in her old age she's having a baby this is about like a baby, a promise though. And like even when we went to Turkey in February, there was so much like God did so much around this miracle. Like, I mean, opening up people's hearts and we felt like we were supposed to pray. It was a small team we were praying for, for um, infertility. Like she shared the testimony and then we felt like we were supposed to pray for other people who desire to have children and someone con- that one of the team members conceived that night. <laughs> Sorry, too much information, but she told us so we can tell you. She was like, I'm pregnant like, the week that we were there and released the word. And now she's going to have her baby next month, in a month. <laughs> anyway, so woo, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing all the stuff. Thanks for letting us be front row seat to your miracle. After the baptism, we can also command your water to break again. This time the real water. 
Oh, I love God. He's so good. He's so, he's so much bigger than we think. However big you feel the Lord is, he's so much bigger than you think. I just need my water. Okay. He can just do anything. And he, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't use up all his energy. Like for you to get your miracle doesn't mean that someone else doesn't get their miracle. You know, like sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll say, what, do you, what, do you, what can I pray for you for? Do you need, like, and someone's obviously sick. I'm like, can I pray for healing for you? They're like, oh, no, just, you know, the, all the children that are starving, they need your prayers more. I'm like, you know, God's got enough power for starving children and for your healing. He's just inexhaustible power and greatness. Oh, I love him. Okay, so we're in the middle of a series on wildernesses. This is the last message in a three-part series. You can go back and catch the messages on YouTube. If you're listening um, online, we want to welcome you, and we're so glad you're with us. So um, the first message I preached was on Israel in the wilderness, and this was where Israel's wilderness experience was was a time where God wanted to reveal his character to them, his goodness to them. And then last week, we talked about John the Baptist, who had an extended, uh, extended, extended, like, period of time living in the wilderness. And this was his preparation time, where he was in, he was basically anonymous. Nobody knew his name, but the Lord was preparing him to be, by Jesus' testimony, the greatest prophet that ever lived. And he spent most of his life completely not known by anyone, just in the desert, letting the word of God go deep in him. And God thrust him into public ministry. He had a ministry of maybe six months to a year and was called the greatest prophet ever to live. And he literally prepared the way for Jesus Christ's public ministry. So today, though, we're going to talk about Jesus's wilderness experience. Yes, Jesus went through a wilderness. And there was never a moment when the father wasn't perfectly pleased with his son, Jesus Christ. And I say that because sometimes when we get in tough spots, and when I'm talking about wilderness, it's, it's a season of adversity, maybe a season of difficulty, a season where you're waiting for a promise to come forward and you feel like, I know that this is supposed to happen, but I'm, I'm in the waiting. When you're in the wilderness, so to speak, sometimes we're tempted to think that God's not pleased with us. Like, why is this happening to me, right? And it's good for us to know in this moment, even Jesus went through great adversity. And he literally spent 40 days in the wilderness. And one of God's great tools to make you mature in Christ is to stick you in adversity of some sort. To give you a promise and then teach you how to contend for it. To be fulfilled. He doesn't tease us with his promises. He's, he's, he's absolutely faithful to his word. We just don't always get to choose the time. Right? There's a waiting sometimes in it. So... For Jesus, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, and his wilderness looked like fasting and praying. He was, he was going out into the desert to be alone with the Lord for 40 days. He didn't eat food for 40 days. So that's really tough, actually. That's really... And on top of it, he was sleeping in the wilderness, living, and he was uncomfortable. Like, I've went on a few longer fasts. I mean, just the hunger alone is like, oh, it's terrible. But you know what? I got a bed, and... I mean, I can still get ice water really easily and my favorite juice. And, you know, I think I'm suffering and I'm juicing and kind of babying myself and running to the store and getting special power drinks to get my energy up. I mean, it was like the desert, Jesus, sleeping on a rock, water, no food. We're so soft, aren't we? Like all of us Americans, it's okay. I am one of them. Soft. <laughs> so his, his wilderness, it says, it was, he went for 40 days fasting and praying in the wilderness, and it was marked by, a, it was intense, a season of intense temptation. Do you know that seasons of temptations are wildernesses in themselves? 
And each of us go through temptation. Each of us are tempted to sin. And Jesus was 40 days in the desert seeking the Lord, praying and fasting, and encountering intense temptation. But after the, at the end of this 40 days, he came out, it says, in the power of the Spirit. And this 40 days of prayer, fasting, and intense temptation, which he overcame, actually launched him into his public ministry of signs, wonders, preaching the kingdom of heaven, and fulfilling his whole destiny. Let me tell you, our wildernesses look different in different seasons. I remember one time going through a season of a lot of temptation in a way that you know, if I, if I just say, oh, I was going through so much temptation, there's all these kinds of thoughts different people will, you know, have in their mind according to what maybe you deal with. But I went through this season where I will call it, I was the invisible woman. <laughs> it was like, it was so weird. One day I woke up and I was invisible to the world is what it felt like. I, I have um, an online ministry and a website about, anyway, I, and this whole other thing that I do that I steward on the side. And I often get emails from people who are asking me, often asking me to help them in some way. Um, help them with like biblical dream interpretation. Okay, that's, that's what this is about. And so I started immediately getting like lo- weekly, multiple emails where people would email me from my page, my ministry page, and um, address Jeff. Like, Jeff's not even on the page. And, like, literally, they have to click, they have to, like, enter an email below a picture of me with my name. And they'd be like, Mr. Man, (laughs) could you help me with this? And are, like... You know, somewhere they found that, I mean, I'm there, I have a bio or whatever, and they're like, Jeff, and they're like, addressing Jeff, of course, and I'm just like, whatever, it doesn't matter, and a lot of times people are from other countries, they don't know if Autumn's a female name or a male name or what, it doesn't matter, right? But it was like, it was uncanny, like it never happened, and all of a sudden, one day, it was like email after email after email asking me for help, but calling me. Mr. Man or Jeff. And I was like, this is weird, right? It's weird. And then it's a whole, I was so, it was so much, it was, it was really like, began to like take notice. I was like, that's so odd. How much is this happening? And then one day we were in Sioux Falls and I began to have these experiences, this one particular I'm thinking about, but I began to have these experiences where people would be talking about me to Jeff I'm right there, and they're just talking across me, like asking him questions about me. I'm, hello, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> like, did you want something? I'm like six inches from you. <laughs> come here, Chad, in winter. Just come here. <laughs> I'm just going to illustrate. We, we got done ministering at a church or something in Sioux Falls. You're Autumn. You're Jeff. I'm a nice beautiful man who, God bless his soul, about 60 years old. Okay, so he's like looking at, oh no, sorry, Autumn needs to be closer. Autumn's in the middle right here. (laughs) Looks over at Jeff and says, so what's it take to get you to come in and do a, a, a biblical dream seminar at our church? In which Jeff says, oh, I don't do that. I don't even teach on that. That's Autumn's thing. Side glance slightly back at him. Oh, so do you think you could come next April? I'm still here. <laughs> and I'm like, jerk, I don't even want to come to it. I'm like, I mean, can you now just call me my name? I mean, this isn't even about, like, I'm just invisible, right? And, they, and Jess again, like, well, I mean, you know, really, you just need to talk to Autumn. I'm right here. And he's like, so should I get your number? <sighs> And the conversation goes on. It's quite long, quite long. Invisible woman. It's a whole season for months. I am invisible. And every 
everything I do in ministry is attributed to my beautiful husband, which I have no, like, Lord bless him. I'm so glad for all that he does. I mean, he was like, sorry, babe, it's not my fault. I'm like, I know. It is not your fault. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. I tell you what. After about a month and a half of this, I went before the Lord. I'm like, God, I just had this hunch you're in this moment. Because <laughs> this really stinks right now. This really, really stinks. And, uh, and I mean, I, there were certain things that I had sown into and spoken about and vision casted for for years that would would in that time frame would take place and I would be late on the back row never not even being part of it I'm like oh this is painful I planned this for years and now it's happening and I'm not even participating it's okay it's okay And I went to the Lord, and I felt like he said, Autumn, I'm just teaching you humility. And you know know when you're doing something, you're not doing it. Most of us, like, like nothing I was doing at that time was I doing to get an applause. But it went to a whole new level when it's the opposite of not getting an applause. You're actually ignored, misunderstood. Everything you're doing has been attributed to someone else. You're being ignored. I mean, it's not even like polite, right? I mean, this is just like polite conversations not even happening. And so, but it was like, I'm taking you deep in this autumn because I know you don't do it. You do it for my eyes and this will help you do it for my eyes even more. It was a wilderness where I was so intensely tempted to step forward in pride, to defend myself, to make myself known. That's me. I'm doing that. <laughs> Quit. What? Don't, don't you see me? There's so much temptation. Now, that's a totally different kind of temptation than what you were thinking, wasn't it? It was a temptation to promote, even if it's on the inside, to be offended. It like, oh, my goodness. But after a while, I just started saying, ouch, okay, Lord, just take it deeper. Just make me invisible for as long as you need to so that whatever this thing is in me that it bugs me doesn't bug me anymore. Whatever. Whatever. It was intense temptation, but let me tell you, it was nothing like the temptation that Jesus went through. You know, Jesus, when he was in the desert, he got assigned Satan himself. Let me tell you, when you're tempted, I almost guarantee you don't get Satan tempting you. You have one of his, like, demons, 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 demons tempting you. Yes, demons tempt. Yes, there are demonic energy a lot of times on temptation. But I doubt any of us are so special that we get Satan himself. (laughs) But Jesus, Jesus did. So let's read about it, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at Jesus' um, temptation, and, and just we're going to walk out of here fully armed on how to be overcome our wilderness, wildernesses of temptation, temptation wildernesses. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Wow. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus wasn't doing this on his own. He was being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. God doesn't waste anything. If you go through a season of intense temptation, If you will lean into the Lord, there will be so much victory for you. Like even Jesus went through intense temptation. He was being led by the Spirit. And it says, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And everyone who's ever fasted, you just want to say amen, right? During that time, the devil came to him. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, let's pause. Would there be anything wrong with Jesus turning a rock into bread? In and of itself, is there anything wrong with Jesus doing that miracle? Of course not. I mean, Jesus multiplied bread, right? 
he, he might as well have made it come out of thin air. I mean, he multiplied bread and fish and took seven loaves and fed thousands of people with it. So the, the miracle of multiplying food or creating food, that in itself, is, it's not even sin, right? But what is the devil saying? He's saying, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. The devil was trying to get Jesus to live by his fleshly desires instead of by the spirit. If I lived 100% by my fleshly desires, I would be like 700 pounds and never get off the couch. <laughs> Just be there eating bags of potato chips and chocolate cake and watching Netflix. You're coming, yes, you can game while I do that. And at that moment, of course, Jesus is actually hungry, right? And so this, this temptation is like, if we looked at it like, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus, you have freedom to eat. You don't have to keep that fast going. He had a mandate on his life to fast for 40 days. He had a spirit, Holy Spirit-led assignment, an encounter with the Lord for 40 days in the desert, no food. Living according to what his flesh wanted in that moment would have been devastating. And Jesus says, no. The scriptures say, or many versions say, it is written. That's my favorite way. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know that scripture has shown up in, the, in all three messages? It's the third week that in a wilderness, that verse shows up. Jesus' answer was, we don't live by our flesh screaming, give me TV, give me food, give me alcohol, give me drugs, give me sex, give me accolations, give me, like, make me feel good right now. We, if you live by that, whoo, you are in for a world of hurt, Right? But instead, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by his promises. We live according to what God says. And that is more powerful than what our flesh is saying. And then verse 5 says, Then, second temptation, the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, now this is Satan quoting God's word to God. And he he quotes um, Psalm 91, one of my favorite passages. But then the devil quotes, he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So here Satan is questioning Jesus' identity, first of all. If you are the Son of God, show me. Do a miracle. Jump off this tower. I know the angels will come and pick you up. And what does Jesus say? The scriptures say, or it is written, you must not test the Lord your God. He's like, devil, I don't need to prove myself to you. And you know, we, a lot of us live under that heavy yoke of trying to prove ourselves to somebody all the time. Prove ourselves to God, prove ourselves to our spouse, prove ourselves to our friends, prove ourselves, prove who we are in some way. And Jesus is like, I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to enter into foolishness to prove who I am. Powerful. In verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and you worship me. This is really interesting because in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, truly authority was given to Satan. 
over much of the earth. The authority was in the hands of Adam and Eve, and they entered into sin and relinquished their authority, right? They came underneath the curse. What's about ready to happen three years later is the perfect man, Jesus Christ, is going to take the keys to the kingdom back. And here's Satan offering him a shortcut to the cross. Here, you just worship me, join my team, just compromise a little bit, and I'll give you, I'll gladly give you authority over it all. But there's just no shortcuts to greatness in God's kingdom. There's just no shortcuts. And so, and so uh, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for it is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. I just want to, from this passage, I want to expose four lies about temptation. But first of all, I just want to just take a second to think about what temptation is. Temptation is the thought or the inclination to do something that is contrary to God's word, something wrong. But temptation doesn't actually turn into sin until it's acted on. It can be acted on physically, like something physically that we do, or something mentally that we do. For instance, maybe um, the enemy will come, and you'll have a, a lustful thought. Lustful thought comes in your head. You have not sinned because you had a bad thought, a yucky thought, disgusting thought. What you do with that thought will determine whether that temptation turns into sin. In other words, we have to be careful that the temptation without us doesn't become sin within us. If you start to ruminate on that thought, just thinking on the thought, going with it, daydreaming about it, then Jesus said, if you think about adultery, you're guilty of it. That's what Jesus said. So the temptation is not that the thought comes. The temptation is if we follow through on the thought. And it manifests in sin, either in us or something we do. Because if you think on it long enough, you'll eventually do it. If you think about being unfaithful to your spouse long enough, the enemy will make sure to give you an opportunity someday to do that. He will make sure to help that daydream come true. We've got to guard over our minds. So important. So important. But the thought itself is not sin. I love this illustration. You can't help it if a bird flies over your head. If a tempting thought comes by, you can't really help that. But you have full control over whether you let it land on your head and make a nest and just live there. You have so much control over that. (laughs) You have total authority about what just resides on you and in you, okay? Jesus. So let's, I want to expose a few lies about temptation. Number one, if you're taking notes, your t- this is number one lie. Your temptation is special. It's special. And it's way worse than anyone else's. I just feel like we need to like all laugh together. <laughs> At some point, every person thinks that their temptation is the worst temptation that's ever been known on the face of the earth. Nope. Lie. Everyone experiences temptation to sin. Everyone. Mother Teresa experienced temptation to enter into sin. Billy Graham experienced temptation to sin. The Apostle Paul experienced temptation to sin. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, experienced temptation to sin. You are not alone. Your temptation is not special. In fact, it may, our sin activities may look different some, some people in here might be dealing with addictions right now. And that temptation comes on, and it comes with cravings, and it comes with, oh, it's just terrible, and it comes with emotions. 
And there may, may be some people in here that you have never tasted a drug or alcohol in your life. But your temptation comes on and you're like, I just want to self-medicate and I just need to play video games for three hours to make myself feel better because I just want to lose myself in something. Each of us, our sin activities that we, that we deal with may look different, but we're tempted just the same. And when you know that actually it says in the Bible, we're going to get to this verse in a little bit, but it says that... <clears throat> Jesus is not unable to sympathize with our weakness. He, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet he's been without sin. Every way that you have been tempted, Jesus experienced when he walked the earth. Does anyone think, like, is that possible? Because they didn't have Amazon back then. Amazon Prime and Jesus wasn't tempted to just go, click, 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 fill the cart, just put the cart on the cart. It'll be just great. Let's make all these purchases. No, he, ha- he was tempted in the areas that we were tempted in. Number two, lie from the enemy. Your wilderness difficulty means God's not pleased with you. I touched on that right to begin with. Father God was perfectly pleased with Jesus, and he still spent 40 days in a desert hungry, uncomfortable, and being tempted by Satan himself. You are not defective because you go through a wilderness season of temptation. And just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to sin, right? Jesus didn't. And you can be victorious too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Number three lie. You are tempted, therefore you are dirty. Just the Lord saying, yes, Autumn, amen. That is a lie of the enemy. You are tempted, therefore you are dirty. See, Satan will give a terrible thought to you. A terrible temptation will come before you. Sometimes something you're like, oh my goodness, I, yuck, that's disgusting. I would never want to hurt someone that way. I would never want to sin that way against the Lord. But immediately, what the enemy will do, even when you resist, and you're like, I'm not going to go there, the enemy's favorite tool is shame. One of his favorite things to clothe you in is to cloak you in shame. And when you are tempted and you resist, the enemy will say, but don't you feel so dirty? You're so dirty. You're so dirty that you would think that. You're so dirty that you would feel that. You're so dirty that you would have that much hate inside of you, that you would wish someone ill. Oh my goodness, what kind of person you are. That is a lie of the enemy, though. Temptation is the thought to do something. It's not the sin. And you need to know when you resist the enemy. He doesn't play fair. He'll hit you at your lowest point, And when you resist him, you are a hero in the kingdom. You're doing exactly what Jesus did. You are resisting the enemy. Number four, lie of the enemy. Your weakness equates powerlessness. See, the, the enemy loves to, to hit us when we're really low, when maybe you're already a little depressed or sad, or there's trials going on in other areas of your life. And look at this with Jesus. Here he is, maybe in his weakest physical moment other than the cross and maybe the garden, you know, his time leading up to the cross. But here Jesus is 40 days without food. He's physically hungry. How much weight? I mean, he's probably dropped at least 20 pounds, at least. I mean, you can't go without food without losing at least that. So he's weak physically, probably weak mentally because if anyone's fasted, you know, you get kind of a cloudy. Oftentimes you feel cloudy even in your thinking because you're not getting nutrition. And here comes Satan in Jesus' weakest moment to tempt him. But we can see from the example of Jesus, even though he was weak, he was not powerless. And even when you are at your very weakest point in your life, 
you are not powerless. You still have the same mighty Holy Spirit living in you, even if you don't feel it. And the word of God is just as powerful as it ever has been, even when you don't feel it. I remember this time uh, a number of years ago, maybe seven, seven years ago or something, 2015 maybe, we were going to do our first Gathering the Generals conference. That's a conference we do every one or two years for the region. Um, and the Lord had spoken to my heart to do this conference maybe in 2010. And I was just waiting on the Lord for his timing. And in 2015, the spring of 2015, I felt so clearly like the Lord picked up that assignment and said, now, Autumn, I want you to run with it. But the problem was, like, as soon as I started following through on that, I came under so much oppression. I am not saying everyone's story needs to be like this. I don't want any of you to spend a day under oppression. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. So much oppression. And I invited somebody to be a guest speaker. We invited somebody that we really felt was supposed to be there. And there was nothing but trouble with our communication with this person. Lost emails, couldn't get through to them secretary didn't even like me at certain points. I mean, it was like, oh my goodness, I would say one thing, it would get interpreted as another thing. There was so much trouble around trying to put this conference together. And when I would get up on a morning where I was like, today is the day that I'm going to conference prep. And so I'm like, tomorrow I'm going to spend four hours working on this conference. I would get up in the morning and have heavy oppression on me. I feel like my chest was like, 50 pounds just resting right there. If any of you have felt that, I have. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's not what God's will is for your life. And it felt like I was swimming through peanut butter. I'm moving. I'm gonna do it. It was just so crazy. And this whole time, I literally was like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? I'm kind of type A. I like a checklist. I like to get a lot of things done. And I'm like peanut butter, like can't hardly move and feel this oppression for months every time I was trying to work on this conference. And I really just thought it was totally 100%. I did not know it was a demonic attack. I actually thought I was just a loser. (laughs) Being honest. (laughs) I am a loser. I can't do this. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't, I mean, what is wrong here? Everything is not going right. Anyway, and one day I say to the Lord, the conference was like a couple months out, and we still didn't, this guest speaker had not confirmed, and there was still so much chaos around all of our communication with this person. And um, I prayed, and I said, Lord, I know this is your will. I know you told me to do it. I know clearly you said to do it. And I said I would, but if you don't break in, it's not going to happen. I just told him, I know this is your will, and your will is not going to happen if you don't do a miracle. Because I, 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 I don't know what's wrong, but I can't plan it. I can't work. I, I don't even know what's wrong. Why? I feel this so much oppression. And I went to sleep that night, and the Lord gave me a dream. And the Lord, this whole dream was about an army of generals. The conference was called Gathering the Generals. An army of generals that was advancing. Oh, God's so good. And just as they were advancing about ready to, like, take this territory, a witch rose up and was conjuring up spells and curses against God's generals. And they were so weak, they were about ready to give up. And literally, like, I saw her, her her will, this witch's will, was to, like, destroy them one by one. And I woke up, and I was like, what made me so special that I got a witch against me? <laughs> I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm just a little girl from a farming town. I literally felt totally the same amount of weakness. I told Jeff the dream, like, great, great. Now I know what's going on. It's witchcraft. And I had no sense of victory, no sense of power. I'm telling you, I'm not, not my best moment, guys. And Jeff's like, well, hon, maybe we should pray. Yeah, let's pray been sitting under oppression for two months because of witchcraft. I was just mad, and I wasn't like righteous mad. I was just mad. I wasn't like mad, like holy mad. I want to say I was holy mad. No, I wasn't. It was no holiness. It was just like tired 
angry and feeling like I'm really not that special devil. I don't think I deserve any of your attention. I actually said that. Anyway, so we said, so I pray a prayer like that. Jesus, help. Just rebuke that demon witch in Jesus' name. God, get her out of here. Command her to go. And Jeff prayed about as powerful a prayer as that. Two, about two hours later, we get an email from our guest speaker. Sorry it took me so long. I'm coming. And I'm not kidding. Everything broke, and the whole conference was planned in less than six weeks. Oppression gone, heaviness gone. And I'm like, that whole thing, I wasn't a, I wasn't a loser. It was the devil. The devil's a loser. You learn things, right? You learn things. But your weakest moment, your most pathetic prayer has so much power. That's where I was going with that story, guys. Your most pathetic prayer has so much power, it destroys witches and breaks curses. And statewide strategies, demonic strategies, are put down like that with pathetic biblical prayers. It was a biblical prayer. It was pathetic, but it was a biblical prayer. See, we are not meant to be like creatures, like tossed about by every storm. What does James say? You don't want to be that person tossed about by every wind and every wave. You are created by God to be victorious over temptation, not to be a victim. Do everyone just say, I am not a victim. There's another V word that you are. You are victorious. And Jesus shows us the way. Do you know that we overcome temptation the exact same way that Jesus overcame temptation? Jesus actually showed us how to do it. He showed us how to be victorious over it. And that is through using God's word. Do you know... Jesus had no better weapon than God's word to fight off the devil's demonic attacks. If the Son of God himself had no better weapon than the word of God, then I think we have no better weapon than the word of God. Jesus himself used God's word when he was tempted and was instantly in victory every time. James says it this way, James 4 when he's talking about being tempted, he says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. See, Jesus was in the wilderness fasting because he had submitted himself to God, right? He was, says he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he had a life submitted to God. Jesus lived a perfect life of submission. He really did. And let's look at James 4 a little bit more because I love this passage. Verse 4, it says, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he's jealous, he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, therefore submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I love, before it says submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he goes into basically, he's telling this church, you need to break up with the world. Some of us have been dating the world like way too long (laughs) like holding hands with the world, loving, just loving their sin. Whatever we want to do, we don't want to make someone offended. We don't want anyone, like if your biggest fear is that someone thinks you're weird because you follow Jesus, you, like, got to renew your mind. You are going to look different 
If you follow Jesus, you're going to look different. Your family's going to look different. It's going to look glorious. It's going to look different, though. You're going to make different choices. In James 4, he says, don't you know friendship with the world means enmity against God? It means that if you become, if you are so engrossed in being loved by people in the world and loving the world and loving sin and loving everything that's in the culture, even if it's wrong, it says that in itself, you've made yourself an enemy to God. And if we're going to submit to the Lord, which in a few verses later he says, we have to break up with the world. That means if God's way, if I see something in the word, which I often do, that is contrary to what I think is right, I just know I'm wrong. It's really not complicated. Whatever God says, I know you're right, God. I know you're right. I know I'm wrong. When we don't agree, I already know I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't need to argue to him about it. I just show me what you know, Lord. Right? And then it says to resist the devil. So we submit ourselves to God, meaning we come underneath the lordship of, of God. We come underneath his leading. We say, Lord, your way is the best way. Your way of doing things is the best way. And then it says to resist the devil. This actually looks like something. This is what Jesus, he was already in that place of submission in the wilderness. But when he was quoting God's word, he was actively resisting the devil's temptations. Actively resisting. There's really just no place for laziness, right? This is a full participation sport, the kingdom of heaven. Everyone gets to play. And resistance looks like Taking out God's word, which is called in Ephesians 5, the sword of the spirit, and using it. Every one of you have a powerful weapon against temptation. If you know Jesus, you own a weapon. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And every person here has access to God's word click of the button on your phone. Some of you have 10 Bibles on a shelf. And Ephesians chapter 5 describes the armor of God. You put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth. But you know, all of that is protective. It goes all the way through it. And there's one weapon, one weapon that's given. And it's called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And every time the enemy came against Jesus, Jesus said, devil, it is written. And as soon as Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God, literally, Satan blown back. The devil himself, the very inspirer of all rebellion, could not stand against one scripture quoted out of the mouth of Jesus. Go ahead, prove your God. If you really are, show me. If you really are the Son of God, jump off this high pinnacle. You know the angels. In Psalm 91, devil says, Psalm 91 even says, you know it, you wrote it. They'll... They'll, they'll come and rescue you. Just show me what you got, Jesus. Show me what you got. Or as you say, devil, it is written. T don't test the Lord your God. I don't take my orders from you. As soon as he says, it is written, the devil blown back. And even the Son of Man had to do it, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, Jesus, had to do it three times. He came and got tempted three different times. And the last one was the last temptation, guys. The last temptation. There, oh, yeah, that's the biggie. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Yep. Took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. The last temptation, and the devil said, you don't have to go to the cross. I can give it to you. I can give you your destiny of being ruling over the nations without you ever having to be the lamb slain. 
the devil's tricky. Because Jesus knew it's been his destiny to rule over the nations. And what did Jesus say? Devil. That was the one where he said, devil, get out of here. It is written. And the enemy, got to read it. It was so good. It is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. And guess what? The devil will go away for you, and he'll send his angels to take care of you too. It's true. There's still ministering spirits sent to minister to the saints. The word of God is super powerful, but it does you no good on the page. Who has a physical Bible? I mean, I do, but I have to unzip it and stuff. Yeah, thanks. This word is so precious. It's so powerful. But the word of God, it, gives, it, it does nothing for you just written on the page. The word of God is powerful when it's in your mouth. That's when it becomes the sword. You get it in your mouth by reading it, right? Right? We get it in our head. We read it. It's beautiful. But even in your head is not enough. Now, in your head helps. <laughs> Believe me. Because we, like, we renew our mind. But even by we renew our mind, by speaking the word. And even Jesus, he didn't think the thoughts. Well, oh, it is written in Jesus' name. It is written. Get out of here. No, he spoke it. He shouted it. It's the same. The word of God is powerful when it's in your mouth, when you're the one saying it. You know how I overcame the fear of lack? Huge, major stronghold in my life. I've shared this so many times. I was like, we had lots of needs, very poor for a lot of years, and a lot of fear around uh, lack around money, around feeling like, what if God doesn't come through? You know, one of the ways I overcame that to where now it's actually a strength in my life is not fearing that, having faith. One of the ways I overcame it was I got God's word. I found the words, the promises that I wanted to believe, and I began to speak them out loud every time I would feel tempted to fear. Here's a good one. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I have it memorized because I've said it 10,000 times in my life. Every time I would be afraid of like, oh no, we're, what if we're like, we're not going to have enough to pay the bills. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. God, thank you. You are my provider. What I do? I took out my sword and I used it. It's only powerful if you use it. It's not powerful if it's up on a shelf. That's why the word of God is powerful when it's in your mouth. It's being used when it's in your mouth. It's not being used when it's just sitting on the shelf. You have to use the word. Use the word. It is written. It is written. I'll, I would say, I still say this to myself all the time. I'll, you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You will never, you know, you ever start feeling a little alone? Maybe alone in your assignment. Or like, I don't know, I feel like all the time I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> all the time. I'm doing something, you know, I, I want to say yes to the Lord. So, you know, I'm going to a country that I don't know what I'm doing. God help me, I don't know what I'm doing. It feels a little scary. Or I'm leading something. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I say when I, I feel that temptation, that lie of the enemy, what are you doing? Who do you think you are that you can do this stuff, Father? You're nothing. You're nothing but a pig farmer's daughter. Now say, he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. I'm hidden in Christ. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I can do nothing apart from you, John 15, but with you, through you, I can do all things. God's word is truly a sword that cuts demons down when it's coming out of your mouth. You want to think better thoughts? Say better words. 
You want to have a fruitful mind? Speak his word. Speak it all the time. Do you have chaos in your home? Sometimes your kids go through crazy stuff. Speak the word of God to them. Speak the word of God in your home. Just speak it. Oh, we're so blessed. Our home is so blessed. This is a house of light. Your guys' word last week. You guys are a house of light. This last week, it was interesting I was going to preach on this, so the Lord gave me a little illustration by letting me go through super intense temptation that I'll just share with you because maybe it'll help you. So, so intensely, like I I did not know I was being tempted of the enemy because, you know, sometimes, this is true, guys, we don't know who's talking to us sometimes. Now, Satan just showed up in physical form, probably physically was there tempting Jesus. We don't get to see our demons, do we? We have to begin to discern them. What voice are you hearing? Where do those thoughts come from? Where is that feeling coming from? Is this feeling coming from the Holy Spirit? Is this feeling just coming from myself? Is this feeling actually coming from the enemy? But you know, a lot of times we don't fight very well because we have a hard time discerning who's talking to us. Right? And so we need to learn to recognize when Satan is is talking to us, when he is tempting us. First of all, he will lead you away from the Lord. He will tempt you into sin. His voice brings so much hopelessness. If you start just wake, if you wake up one morning and just feel like everything is wrong with you, like I'm just such a loser, guess what? That thought did not originate in the heart of the Father. He will convict you of sin, but he's not going to just, you're not going to wake up one morning and just feel like a complete piece of baggage. I mean, I just like, that is not how God fathers his kids. Guaranteed, you are under spiritual attack and hearing lies of the enemy. So this last week, I had this intense conversation happening in my mind all of a sudden where I was so angry. And some people, anger is maybe a vice, you know, something that you really fight and you've had to really overcome. I would say anger is not a primary emotion that I feel a ton. I'm human. Of course, I've been angry. But it's not like this big battle for me, okay? I'm not just always angry or always, like, wanting to go off or yell or scream I have all kinds of other problems, okay? Just not that one. And I was so angry on the inside about some things. I mean, it was like real stuff. And I was like thinking in my, my mind, like I, I just wanna, I wanted to voice my thoughts so bad. I was offended. I was angry. There was injustice involved in my heart, I felt like. And just like, I just, oh, I wanted to so badly. For like an hour, I had this conversation where I'm just like, with all self-control, literally just took every bit of self-control I had in me to not voice the anger I felt and all of the injustice I felt to not just unload it on a human being. And I finally got alone where I could be alone, and I was just like, oh, so mad. I was talking to God about, you know it's wrong. You know that's wrong. You know I've been wronged. Like, I was thinking this, I, and I was saying to the Lord, you know I've been wronged. But God, what is happening right now? And immediately, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you are being tempted. And I was like, oh. And I, of course, I was going to preach on this even, so you think I would, like, really not let myself go there, but I was like, you were being tempted, and immediately I saw this scripture in my mind where it said that Satan wanted to rose up against the nation of Israel, so he incited and tempted David to sin, King David. And I saw that scripture in my mind. I saw it written out, and I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you are being incited by the enemy to sin right now. And immediately, I saw it like play out in my heart. If I were to unleash every word that I feel like actually probably is even true in that moment, you know, 
but painful, hurtful. There would be so much destruction that would come with it. And I immediately just said, okay, Lord, because I was feeling miserable too. And I said, um, I quoted James, the anger of man never leads to the righteousness of God. It is written. Man's anger never leads to your righteousness. And then I began to quote this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no records of wrongs. I was just replaying the record. <laughs> Let me tell you. Oh, on repeat for an hour until I was like, you know, like, whoo. If you would have, like, poked me with a needle, I think I would have exploded like a balloon <laughs> with anger, right? I said, love keeps no record of wrong. Devil, get away from me in Jesus' name. I love the Lord, and I love people, and I keep no record of wrong. And this is what was startling immediately. I felt peace. Like, I actually didn't even feel angry anymore. It was so dramatic to me. I I probably told two or three people about this because I couldn't quit thinking about how I felt, how energized I felt with anger, and how justified I felt in that anger, and how when I addressed it with the word, how completely opposite I felt in 30 seconds. It was so clear. Whoa. I think the enemy just wanted to, like, blow up a situation using me. Like, if I hadn't dealt with my anger, I would have blown up something. I would have eventually said it. You know, you just mull on it long enough. Eventually, you just can't keep it anymore, right? I wish I could have seen in the spirit. I'm sure it wasn't Satan himself. I'm sure it was just one of his little minions, one of his little tiny guys. I mean, it felt so intense to me. Like, it's probably one of the most intense moments of temptation I have felt in, like, that was so clear. So, but I wish I could have saw in the spirit when I was just like, Love keeps no record of wrong. And instantly, every bit of anger dissipates. That's how it was. Because the word of God is powerful, but it's powerful when it's in your mouth, when you are speaking it. Chad, could you just come up? We're just going to end with some worship here. If you could just tell Cecile what song you're going to play, just so she can do the words whenever you decide what song you're going to play. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what song I'm going to play. Cause I, well, I gave you five seconds notice. <laughs> I meant to give you more notice. Thank you, Chad. The most flexible worship leader on the face of the earth. <laughs> so grateful. Oh, praise God. Why don't you stand up right now? Oh, no, sit down. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say, <laughs> stand up, sit down. We have a song like that in Children's Church. Uh, I want to end with this thought while he gets, he gets ready, actually. This is my final thought that I want to end with here. Overcoming temptation brings an authority into your life that wasn't there before. There is an authority you walk away with when you've overcome something. Some of the most powerful testimonies and most the powerful witnesses to someone who's in addiction is someone else who used to be in addiction, right? How many times have you seen someone who God takes their testimony of overcoming, taking their testimony, let's just pick addiction, of even like drug addiction or alcohol abuse, they overcome 100%. I mean, they are victorious over that thing. And there's this authority on them to speak into someone else's life in that area. Have you not seen that? It's powerful, right? It's powerful. It's one of the ways the Lord takes what the the devil's meant for harm, to harm you, and he turns it around for good. That's one of the ways he does it. But also Jesus, it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but it says he came out of the wilderness after 40 days in the power of the Holy Spirit. And immediately he went to Galilee and began to preach and do signs and wonders and miracles. Because that 40 days defined him. It like, 
it, it brought an authority on his life for public ministry. It launched him. So if you're going through intense temptation, you certainly have in seasons past, I'm sure, I want you to take heart. God, first of all, he's equipped you to overcome. And second of all, he wants to take that harassment of the enemy and turn it into authority in the spirit for you. Where you're like, oh, you know, I've been there, done that, and overcome that. Now I have authority in that place. I know how to overcome it when it comes again. Hopefully even that little moment, that bad moment this week with anger. Next time I feel anger, what? God wants me to have extra authority, right? He wants me to remember. Oh, you remember that time when you were about ready to bust with anger? And it was just a demonic attack. And you just said, it is written. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And I'm not giving way to anger because anger of man doesn't give, doesn't lead to the righteousness of God. Devil, get away from me in Jesus' name. And boom, victory, right? Or stand up right now. Thank you, Lord. God's writing beautiful stories in here. He's creating beauty out of yuckiness. And he wants to take your weakest moments, you're not proud of them, and he wants to bring you into victory over those things and make